Hey everyone, Sam here. I am pleased to welcome you back to the cast. This week is a conversation between myself, Mike, and Leah about some important and meaningful and sometimes controversial things that we as Christians encounter in our lives. So, if you saw the title and you thought, oh boy, I can't wait to see what they say about that, well, just a reminder that the views and opinions expressed on the cast are solely our own and may not necessarily reflect the views of our church. With that said, we hope you enjoy, and we can't wait to hear back from you. back for another week of the cast and um this is way later it's possible the raptors have been eliminated from playoff contention at this point but mike's watching mike's monitoring the scoreboard currently yeah this is game five of round two so by the time this goes out we will know what the results of this series were but it's tied at the moment right in the the series Yeah. yeah but they're up by 19 right now so Looking good. Looking no, good. No, 21. Wrong way. Looking good. Trying to do math, guys. <laughs> Looking good. Looking good. Very cool. Better than the the, the, the Leafs this year. I'm just putting them out there. It's better than the Leafs. Better than the Jays. Yep. It's kind of like our last winning Canadian team. That's so true. That's so true. It's really sad. Wait, I thought, there are no about, Canadian teams in, in the... Not in the NHL. They're what? all gone, yeah. They're all gone? Yeah, Calgary went How out in the first round. How about in soccer, round. MLS? Is there any good... Well... Like, I know sometimes Toronto and Vancouver do well, but... Montreal I mean, Impact. Montreal. I don't know how well they're, they're, any of those teams are doing, though. But I guess there are three. Their season has just begun, though, hasn't it? I have no idea. I think so. I'm not into soccer. I'm not either. Sports talk. Yeah. Sorry, guys. We'll get right to the, the funny talk. What about that sports fishing? What? What? Never heard of sports fishing? Um, fishing isn't real. <laughs> Fun fact, my dad was at a um, fishing derby the day that he met my mom. He met her after after church. Or not, you know, it was after church for my mom. My dad skipped church that day and decided to go cool. fishing. But my grandparents brought my mom home. And my dad was all dirty from fishing. And my grandma says, hey, Mark, we got someone to meet you here. Go get dressed, honey. And my dad says, I'm not getting dressed for nobody. And my mom really admired that about him. And <laughs> they were married a year later. He went wow. fishing for fish and he caught himself a wife. I don't even know if he caught any fish that day. Bad. I suppose it doesn't matter now. <laughs> doesn't matter now. Does not matter. Dirt's attractive. He was made a fisher what? of <laughs> Hot take. Hot take. Dirt. <laughs> Well, Leah is here with us, and as is tradition, we're going to do hot takes. All right, hot take. The best Christian music album released in the month of April was not the Hillsong United album. It was the King's Kaleidoscope album, Zeal. I'd rather 
eat a bowl of hair than eat a bowl of dry cereal. Dry cereal is disgusting. I don't I don't think you could possibly eat a bowl of hair dry. Is that like, a... like do you have water with you to wash it down? No, like I, I pour think you... milk in it. Milk oh. in, milk oh, in I hair. See. I see. I see. Okay. Well, okay. Straight down the hatch. If Toronto wins the second round matchup, Kwai Stan. What did you just say? Kwai's going to stay if Toronto wins <laughs> the second like, round. That... Kwai Leonard. Kwai Leonard. <laughs> I wonder if uh, Matt Duchesne's going to stay in Columbus. I don't know. We'll see. Um, hot take. <laughs> All churches should have stained glass windows. Mm, yes. Of course Sam would say that. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Hot take. Um, we should stop using the word garlicky. That's a gross yeah. word. Like, it's not a nice word. Yep. We don't need it. Moist is a good word. Moist is fine. You know what word I really don't like besides garlicky though? Uh, cluster. <laughs> the worst imagery. I hate it so much. A cluster of what? Stop, I don't even want to. <laughs> it doesn't matter doesn't in matter. any context. Horrible word, disgusting. Hot take. Pre-ripped jeans are an abomination. Mm. Ouch, Sam. I wear those. Thanks. I wear those. <laughs> I always have one that's kind of targeted at you, don't I? <laughs> I wear those. I wear those. I do. Oh, I have a hot take. Yeah? Mm. Hot take. Assigning your baby personality traits is ridiculous. <laughs> like, people are like, oh, my baby is so kind. My baby is just so generous and, like, strong. And I'm like, no, your baby is a baby. Your baby eats. Your baby doesn't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's just so ridiculous to me. And people be like, you're not a mom. You're not a parent. You wouldn't get it. My baby is literally the most brave, courageous baby there is. And I'm like, no, it's a baby. Your baby doesn't understand the danger that is before it. <laughs> That's why it's brave. Your baby is not kind. Your baby is probably really rude. Um... Four-year-old ballet recitals should only ever be 10 minutes long or less. Mm. 10 minutes seems even that's, like... That's like an eternity. <laughs> if... I, I enjoyed the 10-second um, the clips yeah. that were on your Instagram story. Her actual set was only a minute and a half, but got to be fair to the other classes and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Oh, also hot take. You know, anyone under the age of 13 should be like fully clothed when they dance. Like, I'm just saying, this was an awkward, mm. awkward moment. Mm. Yeah. Uh, most people should be fully clothed in dance. <laughs> that sounded weird. But, like, especially, like, in dance recital form, like, have some respect for, like, yeah. youthfulness. Well, yeah, they're causing, they're going to cause the 10-year-old boys in the audience to stumble. Or some pervert grandpas. It was weird. Ew. Like, there's literally one costume that was, like, essentially lingerie. Oh, that's, it was like yeah. It was weird. I think childhood innocence should be like maintained for it was you know weird. it's na- it should be allowed to run its natural course. Yeah, yeah. So, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was weird. Yeah. It was yeah, weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. Liv did great. Of course, she's my yeah, kid, but she did great. She did. Yes, a little crocodile outfit. It was beautiful. But um, yeah, hot take. Mm. Awkward. Hot take. Um, the cast should become an ASMR podcast. Agreed. <laughs> I don't agree with John F. MacArthur on very much, outside of probably the core doctrinal essentials, but he um, was a founding signatory of the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel, and if you don't know who John F. MacArthur is, he's a pastor, and very well-known pastor at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California, 
And he's quoted as saying, over the years, I've fought a number of polemical battles, polemical battles, polemical battles against ideas that threaten the gospel. This recent and surprisingly sudden detour in quest of social justice is, I believe, the most subtle and dangerous threat so far. So I, I disagree with him on that as well. And here's why I disagree with that. I disagree with that because, one, he's right that if the only goal of the gospel is to achieve social justice, that's wrong. However, don't believe it has to be that kind of dualism that it's, um, I mean, I don't know what he sees the primary, like, direction that this the gospel or the evangelical church should be heading in but i think social justice has to be a part of that picture i don't think you can just exclude it and if your theology is centered around achieving social justice if you see that as being like the only mission of jesus yeah sure that's incorrect but i think if you emphasize that like i think that's important too because i actually think the redemptive power of the gospel is such an important part of inviting people to share in new life. And if you aren't offering that to people, if you are going the way of the American evangelical right, which in recent years has actually alienated a lot of people, then you, I don't believe you are offering um, something redemptive that people are going to want to participate in. So yeah, I, it's, to me, it's not a one or the other. It's a both and kind of thing. And I really, like, I really do not believe that even, even a gospel that's been taken totally in the social justice direction is the greatest threat to our faith because it's still part of our faith. What do you make of that? I'm going to need you to sum it up again in one sentence. <laughs> Basically, social justice isn't the gravest threat to our faith because social justice is an important part of the mission of Jesus. See, the first thing is you have to figure out what he means by social justice, right? Because in the American context, what he could be meaning is kind of like far left, you know, censorship based politic. Because that's usually, those things are usually conflated, right? Social justice movements and like a far left kind of like, you know, PC culture. Sure. So if that's what he's talking about, then what he's talking about is that there's two, you know, ideologies at war. And if he believes it's the most fundamental one that, you know, you can't tell anyone that they're wrong, everything has to be peace, like politically correct, whatever that matters, then like the gospel is quite offensive to that. Sure. So I can yeah. understand that if he's simply talking about working for justice in society, mm -hmm. in the sense that I think you mean it. Yeah. Then, of course, that statement is wrong. Yeah. Like, okay. I don't want to be talking past him here, but right. yeah. So maybe defining our terms is that's important. like I think that's fundamental in this conversation because of the history of the social gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Which was essentially a salvationless Jesus, which you know is where people tend to go when they try to pacify the atonement on the cross, sure. right? Yeah. And so I think that if you can if you can form a Jesus that essentially demands nothing, changes nothing of the person, but is the motivation for social movement, then you have lost the gospel. Um, so I think it comes down to definition of terms in a sense, because I do agree with you wholeheartedly that you cannot be changed by the grace of God 
the love of God, the mercy of God, the generosity of God, the justice of God, and then turn around and be blind to human suffering, pain, injustice in the world around us. Like we have to be agents of redemption, agents of new creation. Um, that we would argue that, at least I would argue that salvation in its scope um, is ultimately cosmic, that the world's being recreated, that Christ has one access for human beings specifically, definitely to be remade, and that's sort of the, the locus of it, but it's reach, right? It's new heavens and new earth, right? New society. Like, even I was, I've been reading, um, I just finished the book, Dal uh, Spirit of Disciplines by Dallas Willard, and he ends it with this um, really challenging um, chapter on power and how we use it in leadership and like imagining in his mind what that new heavens and new earth will be like when human beings are said to be ruling and reigning in that space and like how do we have like human structures that are actually not corrupt anymore and how you know the power of the gospel's ultimate vision is to actually create people who can do that purely and well and justly and so we should expect some of that movement in our heart and in life that we should be leading the way for justice and for truth and for flourishing. And again, when it comes to political conversation, um, which I think I would argue probably because of the American context of John MacArthur is probably what he's speaking into, like we do have to be careful that, again, we don't conflate political ideology with like, you know, our understanding of how Jesus would go about doing certain things. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I just, I, that is just so dangerous, like, when it is conflated like that. Like, I was talking to someone recently who spent some time in the U.S., and she said that she just knew so many people who left the faith after Donald Trump was elected. And that was, like, in the mind of if you go to Liberty University or someplace like that, like, that is a, you know, a place where... Um, Donald Trump's election would be seen as a huge victory for evangelical Christianity. But really, it's just like, it's just a victory for my team that I've become associated with. But if you're not on that team and you are a Christian, like, where is there space for you kind of within that camp? And like, that is, I mean, the reason I bring up Donald Trump maybe is just because like that is often seen as like the reaction against that PC or that social justice kind of movement. But it's, like you align yourself with something that in, from my perspective is also very antithetical to the gospel, to what Jesus was about as well. And I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to judge people if there are things about Donald Trump that you happen to like, but I think there has been such like a toxic culture and culture war created around that where really I don't believe either side truly has Jesus. No, I, I agree, and this is like even, um, again, it's it, it is is it's the conflation of of it's kind of like political power and sort of like a faith based perspective, and how you know we assume that again, our means of achieving certain ends are the true biblical ones, right? Mm -hmm. Which in a modern capitalistic society that did not exist then yeah you can't you can't say this is the biblical way of doing it because mm -hmm. the, the bible doesn't speak to this setup of society it speaks to principles and morality and ethics on the personal level um and on the social level for sure but like you know arguing that like capitalism is biblical or that communism is biblical yeah is to miss the point 
In fact, mm. because the right thing is that the kingdom of God is biblical, which is a attack on both, yeah. right? Because there's it's a monarchy. Well, it's theocracy, really, of like of of a spiritual monarchy in that sense. But it's also like, right? We've talked about this in a couple a couple of podcasts ago, I think, of the idea of like there is merit in the kingdom, right? Faithfulness is rewarded, right? Hard work is rewarded and stuff. It's not an equal outcome kingdom. Like Jesus says, you'll be rewarded. Some have five, some have two, some have one. Like that's part of the dynamic. At the same time, you can't be like, well, Jesus is the, you know, spiritual capitalist because uh, grace equalizes everybody and everybody's in, everybody gets welcomed. And so those themes on the spiritual level do matter. Um, but when it comes to like what you just said about like someone leaving the faith because of Donald Trump, like that, like, yeah, I, I, you don't leave the faith over that unless you already have a lot of other reasons why sure. you're thinking okay. about leaving. Like, okay, so, so I don't know. I'm just trying to put myself into like the mindset of like there are a lot of doubt-filled believers. I mm-hmm. myself have been a doubt-filled believer at various points in my life. Like that is just part of my journey. So for someone, I think so. I think I can sympathize with that a lot. Someone who has been in that place and then is forced into this Christian climate that they do not recognize as their own like at all like if you're I I just think about like how would I have dealt with being in the deep south in that time just given my positions on everything like that would have been so difficult for me to just not resent everything about the society and the place I was living in like that would get to me that would actually eat away at me spiritually whether I wanted it to or not well I and I can I can see that I think again this is where we need to let Jesus kind of like attack our cultural story a little bit and get us beyond our moment because you know at the end of the day we are we have to see ourselves as citizens of heaven first that we are not nation first we are heaven first mm-hmm. uh, we are not political party first we are not um in this in the states we are not like state first we are christian first and foremost and in that context where there is a wide reaching kind of religious war in the political scheme i can understand someone's cultural moment nonetheless right I do think if your faith was placed in Jesus and not in a political party's regime on both sides of it, then like the doubt in my heart should never be swayed based because Donald Trump got elected and my pastor liked it. Yeah. Like that's like the same thing that you get when, you know, a pastor fails and like half the church leaves Jesus. Your faith was not in the pastor being a good pastor. It was supposed to be in Jesus. And so I think there is a... That would be now that th- now that I think about it, that would be probably be more of an indictment on their discipleship from the churches that maybe they've been in the communities that they've been part of that yeah. that they've been in a situation where it's been preached as gospel that Jesus is a Republican or something or a Democrat mm-hmm. or whatever because you could argue the same way I'm sure people would reject a kind of Christianity that loved Hillary Clinton sure right yeah. like you go both ways and yeah. that's the thing you always can when it comes to politics and so that's why we have to be united in our in our value and then charitable in our disagreements of means and how that happens and and i think you know i think we have to be careful again to hold our political systems very loose um because even if even if you would imagine some kind of like you know this side of 
you know, the second coming of Jesus, some kind of political Christian, you know, leader, right? Truly, right? They still would be fallen in need of full redemption. And so they still would have temptation to sin. They still would not be glorified as we know we will be one day. They still will not have that. And so like the expectation of some perfect little Christian society is just ridiculous, Mm -hmm. right? And then uh, C.S. Lewis, I was reading it today, talks about how, you know, you know, we have this weird idea that like our politicians should be like the best of humans, right? They're leading us. But he goes like, they never are. And so like our expectations have to kind of match for that. Like we we can't, like, who was it? I was reading something else. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but basically this idea that, you know, like we, um, oh, it was Dallas Willard. That's where it was from too, where he's like, we have this weird relationship to our politicians where we will like say how awesome they are and how great they are at the same time, kind of recognizing how their life doesn't actually match up to what we proclaim them to be. So he was talking about some um, old um, president. I don't want to quote this wrong. It was one of the old presidents, but anyways, he was known for using the Secret Service to bring in like, not his wife, we'll say, right? Mm-hmm. But then you'd read like political arguments for him about how he's an honest and upright man. Yeah. And he's like, he goes, the reason why this exists is because we want our leaders to be that way. Yeah. We, we, we yeah. know we need them to be that way. Yeah. We know we want them to reflect those values. And so we almost project them onto anybody sure. who takes that place. Yeah. For good or for bad on both sides of it. That's why, yeah. like, it's not, like, the issue is not Donald Trump, I don't think. The issue is so much deeper than that, yeah. right? And I'm not American, so I can't even speak to some of, like, the societal movements and things that have been going on, the cultural moments. But even, in, like, here, like, like, my issue, right, is not with essentially the political leaders of our country. It's the ideas, it's the systems, it's wrestling through those things that we need to be more honest about. Because the fact that even, I think, Christians today kind of, I guess I have felt this, right? It's, it's like it's like politics we aren't allowed to talk about. It's, yeah. it's the off-limits topic because we don't want to get in an argument. We don't want to like break friendships up. Like if you can't be a friend with someone who votes differently than you, then you really do need to reevaluate your, yeah. your kingdom-mindedness because our unity then breaks down because you voted different. Like I think we have to be... Um, we have to be willing to wrestle with these things purely, and and yes, are our ideas powerful and dangerous and good and power and like flourishing? They are, right? And so we have to be willing to like admit that. But like again, like Sam and I, we are different politically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more we've talked, the more we realize that we actually want the same thing. I've been just reassured of that as well. Just that we respect how we got to the conclusions that we've gotten to yeah well because i think like when we talk about it at the end of the day what we want is human flourishing Mm -hmm. we want people to be honored respected and we want people to have freedoms of whatever right but we would just differ on how we think society should be built around those things and how we achieve those things purely and if we can't sit down and be like yeah well yeah we're brothers so let's just still you know eat and talk and be like yeah that's where it breaks down for me and like you know, I think we just have to be careful not to not to make Jesus so much after our political ideology um, that he cannot correct it ever. Because um, he's not on either side. I, I don't believe that in any way. Um, because his kingdom 
is a monarchy. Mm-hmm. He is he is yeah. the, he's the one who rules it. Yeah. Um, and some have argued that's why we love stories of the kings coming back and the kings because we have this like innate spiritual desire for the king to truly return, mm-hmm. which I think is a fine point. But yeah. Um, it's just, it's, I think we have to be careful. So in this case, if he's, if John MacArthur, they're bringing it all together, is really talking about the idea of political ideology, I can understand. I would say that there's, he's probably feeling a different, a different feeling than we would have in Canada. Yeah. Um, but if he's simply talking about like working for justice in our city is the biggest, then I, I can't imagine him saying that. I, Okay. Maybe he can. I don't know. I just don't feel like. Yeah. I don't think you can read the Bible and be like the biggest problem with the world today is people want justice. Like I, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't think that that's true. Um, I would hope not. I would hope not, right? Because it's true. We have to bring, like, we feed the poor, we help people, we bring flourishing where we need to be um, agents. Like I like that idea, just agents of redemption and you know workers of, of that. So, um, if you're talking about that, then I disagree. With you. Ultimately, I don't know. What was sort of the... uh view around purity in the homes that you guys grew up with i know we've talked about dating we've talked about marriage we've talked about sexual ethics on this podcast but i don't think we've talked dug in enough maybe about our upbringings in that department and maybe how that shaped things for us going forward purity yeah i don't know it I don't think it was like a, a huge theme in my house growing up. Not that it wasn't like it was it wasn't talked about that much. It was kind of just like, well, le- how do we define purity? Living within the Christian sexual ethic, I guess. But I mean, so there's ideas around like virginity and, and all that, I, which I mean, are things we as a civilization have invented to some extent. Um, I mean, well, that's not totally true. So there's the idea of the Virgin Mary, but I think we've made the idea of like, you have never had sex, um, maybe to be something more than it is. So just this idea of like, you need to be a virgin until you're married. Mm-hmm. So it's ra- it's not even the emphasis so much on like, no sex outside of marriage. It's wait until you're, married to lose your virginity which you could say oh that means the same thing but it's not like to me the emphasis is a lot different actually in that second one and i think i think it affects girls more than guys well so so you're telling someone that virginity is something to be held on to tightly and be protected so once you don't do that so if you did lose your virginity before you're married then suddenly like oh well it's too late for me now rather than okay i'm screwed up once don't do it again like to me there it's almost like there's no coming back from losing your virginity that is the distinction i'd make there in which one so in the second one so if you're saying wait until you're married to lose your virginity versus saying don't have sex outside of marriage like there's there is a different emphasis on both of those things 
with saying don't have sex outside of marriage, there isn't as much of an emphasis on this sacred thing that we have to protect or else it's irreversibly damaged and gone. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know. I do feel like Christians make a really big deal about sex. Not that like, like it is a, it is like a, I think Christians have the highest view of sex. Like it is like a, a big thing, but like, I feel like we turn it into like such a big deal. It's like elevated, like as the worst sin, if you have sex outside of marriage type of thing. Yeah, I wonder if, like, we do a little bit of revisionist history with ourselves. I don't know about you guys. I had this weird, twisted idea growing up that people having having sex outside of marriage was, like, a relatively new phenomenon. That, like, just, you know, in the last, like, 20 or 30 years or so, oh, this is when sexual ethics and standards started to really decline. And now our generation is all about this, as if people weren't doing this, like, 200 years ago. As if sexual immorality hasn't always been a part of the human experience. But now that we live in this depraved, sick culture that God's going to judge soon, that like, you know, this is the worst sin and this is like the evidence of it. I don't, I don't think there's any maybe even truth to that. I don't even know if that was explicitly told to me. That's just like an idea I had in my head growing up. And I don't know where that came from. Yeah. I think, I think I was... I don't know if I was very sheltered or just like naive growing up, but I was like, I was taught that, yeah, you don't have sex outside of marriage. And I was like, okay, yeah. So nobody's doing that. Like who would do that? Yeah. And then when I found out that like people were doing that, I was like, wait, what? Like, that's not, yeah. 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 And even like recently, I'm still shocked at like, just even like within the church, especially like, I feel like, Every time something comes out like, oh, this person also is like addicted to porn or, oh, like this, like people or couples that like, even in, in who are like in the media who I'm like, oh, I've upheld them as like, oh, they're a Christian couple. Like, of course they're great. Like, and then they come out like, oh, they had an affair too. I'm like, every time it just shocks me. I'm like, no, but like, like, no, like how, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yep. My whole world is being rocked. Yeah, I guess I was just really naive. I was like, nobody, nobody looks at porn. Nobody has affairs. Like, mm-hmm. why would you? Actually, the, I think the worst part of it was when I discovered that I could sin sexually or have like lustful thoughts. And I was so like ashamed of that. Like, I was like, oh, I'm the only one that does this. Yeah. Everyone else <laughs> is totally fine, yeah. but it's just me. Like, yeah, yeah. So, I'm the only yeah. Christian. I'm the only Christian who struggles with this sin. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I, I think, like, probably just if we talked about it more and more openly. Yeah, there'd um, be less shame. Yeah, you. like, we would just be less confused, maybe, about it. I think, and this is really not to downplay the Christian sexual ethic. Like, I affirm and uphold that. But it's it's the way we are very precious about it and really pearl clutch about it that I think probably does damage a lot of people. I would disagree pretty much. With everything? No. Um, I think you're kind of like splitting hairs with those two perspectives. I think the issue is not really, really to me, the ideology behind it and the doctrine behind it. It's actually the presentation of it. So you go to a teenage camp and you're like, Sex before marriage is bad, it's dirty, it's whatever. And then you're like, oh, now that you're married, go enjoy it. 
it's going to be confusing. Right? Yeah. So that kind of purity culture, but saying that we should value virginity and that somehow is a bad thing. I just disagree with, I think the message of, you know, having the desire to uphold the biblical ethic of sexuality, that the covenant of marriage should never be thought of as a negative. I think with the way we enculturate it, the way that we often teach it can be. Um, and so, you know, like I was a virgin when I got married. It's possible, mm-hmm. right? So that's the thing. Like I think we, yeah. we can't be we can't be like oh it's it's too, you know it's 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 too like restrict- and I mean like I just I think that's good too. Like I think probably that's I would I'm sure that was good for your marriage. That, that well I, happen, I would but... say it's I would say that's the ideal picture of the Bible, and so. Yeah. Like to say that, like even that to say that it's good too. No, it's it's good, and it's what God desired. Mm-hmm. And so, the alternatives to that are not as good. And I know we don't like making those distinctions of good and bad, but like they're not, and we, they would be sinful in their nature. Now, to be like, you know, like to have like I remember hearing stories of like people praying for their virginity to come back like what? okay no right like no like like that is like purity culture too far right yeah. like that like just go and sin no more than the woman caught in adultery right like just move on from that the problem is i think this is to me the issue is that we do have a generally cultural low view of sexuality that it is based it is appetite that does just come into the church right so like we have to remember that the goal of sexuality we've talked about it before but is unity mm-hmm. right so like Oh wow, I screwed up one time with it. No, like you unified your soul to her. That's what we believe. You covenanted with her. And so it's it's not a light thing to be like, oh well, I'll fix it next time. Like, no, like that's that that should not be our approach. Is it the you know, is is it the unforgivable sin? Of course not. Right? Like yeah. that that's just ridiculous. I, but yeah. I do think we have to be careful not to um not to diminish it because of poor application or shameful application, right? Because there's a difference between shame-based kind of like teaching and I would say flourishing teaching, um, you know, selling the idea that sex is good. It's a gift of God. It's for these certain principles. It's for these things. And and there are seasons and there are times for it, right? Like, because even in marriage, there are seasons where you don't have sex because of Paul says fasting or if, if you're sick. What if I'm sick and Emily can't I just can't give her what she wants out of me, right? Like, right? Like, they just like. So I think we have to be careful to do that. I think, like the the narrative that goes back into a few years ago of you know high hyper purity culture, of usually within the evangelical American church, and you know the purity rings and the you know daddy daughter like uh daddy daughter dating is that or no like there's like these like um purity balls where you'd go and sign a covenant of purity together and like all this stuff that people did like and i get why people reacted against that and like try to free our sexuality but no like we don't believe our sexuality is free we don't believe that we are unbound we don't believe any of that stuff and so we have to be careful Mm -hmm. to like not react culturally to poor christian application of things i think we tend to do that in, in our youthfulness that we will look back and think that was dumb. That was not how it was supposed to be. And then we conflate that with the doctrine. And I think we have to be careful with that. Cause I do agree telling a bunch of kids that like, you should like almost be ashamed of like, your lust. Right. And then now you need to switch that and really like desire your spouse. 
like you have like it is like i've heard people have that testimony where like especially in and i've heard it more with women where um like they they actually feel uncomfortable or they do feel shame because they've heard this message of the dirtiness of sex for so long that now that they get to have blessed sex it's like i can't engage in that so i think that is damaging and we have to be very careful that's why like for me if whenever i preach about it it tends to be very like positive about sex and it's good and it's wonderful and whatever but within this context um and so i do think we have to just be careful with that i i I don't think that it should be like oh well it's it's because i don't want people i don't want christians like again i and this is the thing like i um i don't truly i've worked a lot on this because i sort of had the same thing kind of naivety of just young christian brains everyone loves jesus right and then you're like oh that's not true well no one's gonna do these things well that's not true in fact and in fact that they do studies and you can't actually tell difference sexually between non-christian and christian modern culture is also a other thing we need to deal with but i'm not going to judge a non-christian couple for engaging in in sex together like i'm not gonna be like oh you know you're breaking the law of god because they don't care about the like that's what paul says don't judge those but inside the church i do think we have to be careful to not like give license for like oh it's not that bad mm. well yeah. no it is mm-hmm. but there's grace right and we don't want to shame you out of that like the same thing with raising a kid right like you know you don't want to inflict shame upon them when they do something wrong so they don't ever want to come and be part yeah. of the conversation or like you know like it's sort of a weird conversation but you know i have a son and eventually he's gonna you know and even live as like she's gonna explore her body like that's what kids do there's stages of their development and you don't want to attach the emotion of shame to her body and for weston when he's there too and so you have to be able to engage that conversation i think in a very you know stage appropriate way but also not to bring those those things in and so i do think that that is a that that's not easy to walk right to to deal with sin to deal with lust to deal with sexual issues in a way that's honoring to God, but not shaming of people, right? And do I have the perfect way of doing it? Of course not. I don't know. But I just, I don't think we have, I, th- I, th- I think that to say that somehow there's a there's an inherent difference between don't have sex before marriage and be a virgin when you get married, I think that's actually splitting hairs in an unhelpful way. Um, unless you're doing that to like seriously try to scare kids into virginity because then right i get it that's not awesome um and i feel like and i'm this is going to be weird but i feel like the people who make much of this tend to be youth pastors who do with teenagers and single people yeah right because when you get married and realize what sex is in the in a consistent monogamous covenantal relationship right you begin to recognize like sort of what you said, Leah, like it's good, but it's not like the ultimate thing. Like my companionship goes much deeper than this. Mm-hmm. It should. Yeah. And that sex takes on, I think the proper role of unity of, of intimacy of, of, you know, connection and whatnot in its context of a covenant marriage. Cause we do believe it again, it is soul weaving. It's, you know, person mingling or whatever word I said that one sermon that everyone laughed at, whatever it is. Right. Uh, but it's, but, and so we can't degrade it in any way, but we, but I've just recognized like, that when I was young and just high on hormones and like just wanted to just have sex with Emily and everything, 
and then you get to get married and we did it in the right order and whatever you realize oh like it's good but like my images of what i thought this thing was going to be it's just it's 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 not accurate it's better than i thought but it's not like this this thing that we had and so i think we have to just be careful that that i find that once you get married you kind of settle then you know what it is it's like okay walking hormones over there just like chill right it's possible to not have to have sex like it's it's easy in the sense of keep your pants on it's hard because it's tempting but like no like i've said this i think in that episode like no one's forcing you to take your pants off you can keep them on it's so easy to keep your pants off right like it's not like it's like oh wow they fell off right like what can we do uh so i think we just have to be careful with that like we can't shame it but we can't also be like ah whatever right and and that's where yeah i know you brought up sam earlier off mic the idea of like you know kissing dating goodbye and the whole like courtship movement and the hyper kind of like you hype what be a hyper purity movement right of like you can't trust kids because they're just going to go off and start having sex and run it's like no like i I want i want live it's my daughter to be raised with the proper honor of what this is and that like she would choose someone who would respect that um would love jesus more than her and do that now again are they sinful and will they make this mistakes Hopefully not this one, but they may, right? And as a dad, and this is where you sort of said it, I think, right? Where like women get a little bit of a stricterness placed on them because of the idea of like pregnancy and and what that looks like. But which I think is unfair. Like, you know, we do hold to a a unified ethic in that sense. But like I, I want her to be equipped not with fear of sex, but with honor. Yeah. Right? And... Yeah, so I think the fear is probably that is probably the the dangerous component of that, and I think too, it's it's people find finding bad ways to maybe apply the Christian sexual ethic that I'm mostly uh, leery of, because it's like so the I Kiss Dating Goodbye book, for example. This guy is basically just writing about his own success story. Um, with courtship and marriage, but that's not going to be the universal experience for everyone. Not everyone's going to find someone that way. Not everyone's going to be able to wait that long for someone to just come along. Like if you're the woman and the guy, I want to marry you before we've even like really started seeing each other or like no. Well, yeah, like the that kind of courtship model of like. Yeah, like we're betrothed again. That's it's just not going to work for everybody. Like you might be waiting a long time if that's what you're expecting, and it might not produce a flourishing marriage. Like a lot of people like ended up divorced after that. Now, I mean, I don't want to blame it on the courtship, and maybe there were other issues within the marriage too. But like, it's not a guarantee of a healthy, happy, God ordained marriage. Like it's, it's setting up people for disappointment i think when you make these strict like models to follow and and even just yeah just talk about something that is good i agree like i think everything you i agree with everything you said about you know the beauty of sex within marriage but yeah applying that fear and applying those like just bad application is setting up people to be hurt i think so there's no like formula for coming out 
on the other side a-okay is what you're saying i i don't think there is uh at least not in there ways like we've if been you mean formula like hey guys if you follow these three steps you'll never struggle with sexual temptation well, of course not there's no formula but accountability uh, responsibility community there are boundaries tools grace jesus holy spirit conviction like there are many things we've been given like for sure to do this and and again within the context like you know when you're 17 you're literally hyped up on hormones like it's difficult like i get that um and i remember being that guy and you know i i don't like that guy because he was like just <laughs> high on hormonal things but i i i just i i would say that we have to be, again, careful to say, yeah, this model necessarily of dating might not be flourishing, right? And like you said, it, it, say that people got divorced because of it. It's kind of just more anecdotal than anything. and It doesn't really sure. speak to the idea, right? Um, I do think that, again, this is a bigger conversation on how do we actually date well? What is dating in the Christian context? How do we meet people? Because, like... At the end of the day, do you, like the opposite of this is kind of like the, the Tinder approach. We're just going to swipe and hopefully someone happens. And we, that's just as dumb, right? And so I think we have to be... Tinder is just as dumb as courtship? Um, well, saying that like the only way to find the perfect spouse is to I would say they're and, equally as right? dumb, yeah. Like I, like I would say if you're going to err inside a caution, I'd much rather my girl court and I be at every single date with her. 100%, I will take that. I'm a parent now, right? Um, but at the same time, like... And this, again, you're, and this is what I've had to learn. So this is maybe what this guy did that maybe was, was you know, nearsighted. But, like, I've recognized that, the, that my story with, with Emily is not normative, right? And so mine was I met her when I was 17. A couple months later, I said, hey, I think we're supposed to get married. When's it going <laughs> to happen? I'm committing to love you for the rest of my life. And five years later, we, we got married, right? Let's, and I know that doesn't happen all the time. I'm maybe stubborn enough to make it happen. But, you know, like, so if I wrote a book saying, here's how you find someone, you say, hey, I like you, and I'm committing to the day I die, and you just do it, that would probably mess up some people, right? But, so if, I, so if I, I've had to learn, but I used to think that a little bit, like, this is what you do. You just find some girl that you're attracted to, that you loves Jesus, and you just commit to love her, right? Which technically is actually true, but the application of that Right. And in the timeline of that and how you discover that, like it's a little yeah. more nuanced. Because here, here's my story on how to meet someone. You have a few failed relationships. You learn what not to do and then you do the right thing. <laughs> so is that going to work for everybody? I hope not. I hope you don't all have to go through failed relationships to get. Well, I would say that's I think the one, one of the benefits of dating is I would say Christian dating is that you can fail in relationships. That like sure. your relationships at 15 should not be as serious as they are at 25, hopefully, right? Like that's a whole other conversation we need to have. But like, um, so like, cause I had a couple girlfriends before Emily, but like nothing that was right. as serious. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that's a good process. I don't know, I never, like I really did, to be honest, appreciate, I think because I was such like a rule follower, like, the hyper purity thing. Cause I was like, I can do that. I can, right. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time struggled with porn and all that stuff as a teenager that mm. no knew about. Cause I didn't want, cause that would sort of defeat the whole you know, image. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I think there was a lot of shame attached to that. Um, but I think we just said, yeah, we have to be careful that there's no like 
Christian model of dating, but there is Christian principles that guide us. And I think we have to set our standard high enough to believe sure. that yep. I don't have to give into the cultural narrative, which yeah. I just have to, I want to make sure we get that, that I agree. it's yep. possible and valuable to walk into a marriage only ever knowing each other. That was the Christian ideal, right? Now, does that mean if that doesn't happen, somehow your marriage is screwed? No, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's growth. I have noticed this is just my pastoral anecdotal evidence that the marriages that ha- that bring in past sexual partners do struggle way more than the ones that don't, um, and on deeper issues. Um, I've I've noticed that because um, I get to be in some of those conversations that couples who got together were virgins when they got married have their issues like every young married couple does. Uh, but they tend to be way more surface level conflict and cultural conflict and um, learning each other conflict where the ones who brought in past sexual partners and things like that are like, and I, and I don't like, again, my, my range of pastoring is only, I've been doing it for, you know, coming on maybe eight or so years, but hundred percent of the time, always deeper, deeper emotions, deeper woundedness, lack of trust, lack of understanding, like so much deeper in the conflict. Um, and, and and you could argue it's, well, maybe it's because they've experienced more, so whatever. And whatever the I- issue is, I've just found that um, the issues tend to go way deeper. The lack of trust goes way deeper. The Sometimes the lack of understanding goes way deeper. Um, do they both need the same kind of grace? hundred percent. I've just noticed that there is a difference in the level of initial conflict, uh, because eventually a couple that has, um, you know, two virgins entering there are going to have sexual problems. Sexual sin is going to come in. Lust will be a part of them. Like statistically, right. Even if they don't bring sexual partners, they do bring, you know, the guys probably watch porn, which is going to mess you up on how you think about sex and what you expect out of your wife and all this different stuff. Mm. So it's not like it's, you know, purity versus not pure. That's not actually what I'm saying. Like they're both impure starts. It's just the the level of that. Um, and so that's why I don't think like it's like you're, you're right off. But I don't think we can be like, oh, but it's okay because grace makes it better. No, I think there still is a desire to have the best possible start. Um but if that best possible start meant I was scared of sex for 17, 18, 19, 20, 25 years, probably not going to help either. Mm-hmm. And so I think there just is a way to have a blessed sexual ethic that speaks better into this. And I don't think it's in courtship. I think for some people that works great, right? I think, like I said, I have a daughter. I won't be going on her dates. Emily won't let me. But I wish I could say that. Um, when is she allowed to start dating? Oh, but 25 would be great. Um, no, because this thing is my rule was 16 with my family. But then Emily and I, I met when she was 14 and started dating her at 15. And so, like, I can't be like, live. No dating until you're 18 because it sort of breaks both our rules. But That's funny. My, I wasn't given, like, a specific rule. My parents just told me it was probably a bad idea to do it, um, like, basically while I was a teenager. I think still yeah. yeah like I think wisdom says that like high school dating is dumb yeah it would have been for me yeah um I don't yeah. think it's wrong I think lack of wisdom because like at that point do you like there's so much of your development your character your like identity that's still not formed and like no like I, I can't imagine right like seriously yeah. dating somebody in if, high school if I dated like, someone in high school like I I, I don't know I, I've changed so much since then 
I don't know that we would have grown in the same direction. Like, I think it... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but then again, then it gets into the ethic of marriage and what marriage really means and how you have to keep falling in love with a new person every day. There's a stranger in your bed all the time because the woman you yeah. marry is not the woman that Tim you have. Keller. Right? There's all that stuff, right? But it's true. Like, the, the, the girl that I first met when I first met Emily, which would have been... She's 25 now. So 11 years ago. is not... The woman I'm married to today, right? The woman yeah. I'm married to is so much better and different, right? And the guy that she met, like, like we talk about this all the time. Like, if, if, if I didn't meet her when I did, I would not be with her. Because, like, if she was just a little bit older, probably a little more wiser to life, she'd be like, you're an idiot. You don't deserve my time. Um, and so, because I was, like, 17, like, who, what, what, like, what do I know? I know nothing, right? Even now, 10 years later, I still feel like I know nothing. Uh, but, like, I, I think that, you know, if, if my daughter wanted to date, I feel like I'd want her to wait. You can't hold me to any of this, but I feel like I'd want her to wait. Till, I know for some reason, like 16 does feel right. That kind of like grade 11, grade 12, when you're really starting to think about the future and whatever. But even at that, like most of us didn't even know what we want to do for no, a career. No, I had that no young, idea. Right? Like, Still don't know. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I would say that if, if, if Liv didn't start dating till she was like past high school, I would not be mad. I would not be mad. Would you be happy? I'd be, I'd be happy. But if she goes, if she's still single at 21, then you start panicking. Oh, that's when you're like, girl, I'm going to set you up. <laughs> I'm going to create like the Christian Tinder for all like the pastor's kids in the area. Just swipe whatever one you want and we'll get that happening. PK Tinder. Or hey, that's guys, that's an idea. Yeah. That is an idea. Let's make some money off that. Right? All to say, all to say, let's wrap this up. I think at the end of the day, we agree that sexual ethics are important that i that the ideal of christian sexuality i think is to be pursued within the context of recognizing the gift that it is and it's not a shame and fearful thing like we have to just be able to talk about it and i think what we've done poorly is we have um made sexuality such a big deal like leah said that for good or for bad, we can't really talk about it. Yeah. It, like, like one of the things that I think is subversive of the Christian faith for us is that sexuality isn't actually that essential to us. Yeah. Right? Yep. It doesn't define me. For sure. Right? It, it doesn't... It's so hard for people to wrap their heads around. Right? Like, like Paul, from what we know, he may have had, you know, he probably had a wife earlier in his life, but he, like, essentially left it all. And for... There's some reasons as whether that's true or not. There's some debate. We know that he let... The end of his life, he was single. Right? We know that for sure. And... Right, the sexual ethic would have been that he was absent in all that. Right, we know that, you know, this idea of the gift of celibacy. I think the requirement of celibacy, by the way, in is just dumb for Christian living. But the gift of that, if God gives you that, right, I think is important. It's fine, but um, I think we just have to really allow the truth that, like, love, relationship, intimacy, and sex are not synonymous. You don't have to have sex with someone to fully love them, right? We yeah. can be in deep relationships without having to express that part of who we are. And so it's it's easier to save that component of relationship when I recognize that it's not attached to like loving another human being. It's part of a way we love a certain relationship, but it's not like the, the height of human love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important and, and that we just, we hold sexuality as sacred but not ultimate ultimate. Yeah. Like I think that's a good way of saying it. That like at the end of the day, it's one of the four kind of sacred things of 
Genesis creation, but it's not the ultimate thing of our, our life. And so that's where you can achieve purity. I just achieve purity and hold that in. I like strain for the ideal, but recognize that grace is better. That shame is, has no place in the, in the, in, in the gospel of Jesus and that Jesus, you know, dealt with sin wherever he found it the same way, right? Mercy, grace, and now go and don't do it any longer. Um, and we need to treat people like that. How are those Raptors doing there, Mike? Crushing. 35 points. Wow. Kawhi staying, guys. Cool. You think so? All right. It's looking like it at this point. 